Let's begin. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, always more ready to hear than we to pray, and to give more than we either desire or deserve, pour down upon us the abundance of your mercy, forgiving those things of which our conscience is afraid, and giving us those good things that we are not worthy to ask, except through the merits and mediation of Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Okay, we're on chapter 5 of Professor Marquardt's book, The Saving Truth, a Doctrine for Lay People. And I believe, did we get, I think we did, we got to the moral law, correct? Is that where we should be? Okay, moral law, which is on page 72. Here we go. Within the Old Testament arrangements, we may distinguish three kinds of laws. The ceremonial law governed religious observance in great detail. The civil law regulated the Jewish nation as a political unit. And the moral laws finally set out man's permanent ethical obligations, right? Uh, how many people think the word ethica- ethical is still efficacious today? <laughs> I think it is. All right. Here we shall be concerned only with the moral law, since the other two have been fulfilled and abolished in Christ and his kingdom. And uh, let's go to Colossians 2, 16 to 17. Do you have that pulled up by chance? Okay, but he will. So this is where, so when we talk about the law, so when you talk to some of your other non-Lutheran Christians, this will probably come up at some point, okay? So if, uh, when we were in Nebraska, just, what, two blocks down the street where we were was a Seventh-day Adventist church, do you know what day, seventh day, what, that's, uh, that's uh, repetitious, seventh day, do you know what day they go to church on? Saturday. Saturday. You know why? Because of the law. So Sabbath certainly was originally Saturday. So they take, uh, thou shalt, what commandment, which, uh, which commandment is that, Silverberg? Which commandment is that that talks about the Sabbath day, do you know? That's okay. I like to put people on the spot. Remember the? By keeping it holy, right? Which is which commandment? The third commandment, okay? So Seventh-day Adventists would say that that is what type of law? Let's look at what Marquardt just taught us. Let's see if we can figure this out. Ceremonial, civil, or moral? They would probably say it's two. Which two would they say it is? Ceremonial, although the Seventh-day Adventists don't like to talk about blood. They don't like to talk about nephesh, by the way, and sacrifice. That's interesting. So we do a study on that, okay? So ceremonial, possibly more civil, a combination of civil and moral. But they would say that the law still stands, that it has to be fulfilled so that Christ did not fulfill it for us yet, it's our duty then to fulfill it. So that's a requirement of the law. And the Seventh-day Adventists, I don't want to get too far off track here, um, they've become Trinitarian. We used to actually classify them as a cult. Did you know that? Historically in the church? Okay. Um, and since they actually have, have become Trinitarian, and so typically are recognized still as, uh, as Christians, um, but every Saturday uh, when we were mowing the lawn or riding around, you know, there were always uh, cars parked outside the Seventh-day Adventist church. Now, can you worship on Saturday? Sure. Just don't make it a law. 
Do you have to worship on Sunday? No. Why do we worship on Sunday as Christians? Because it's the Lord's Day, meaning it's the day that Christ rose from the dead. So early Christians, uh, you know, took that on. So can we worship on Wednesday night? Yeah. Could we offer services any other time? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, And that would not be uh, sinful in any regards. But Sundays for Christians... Uh, have always been uh, special and unique. So we do it because of tradition. We do it because of teaching. You know, it used to be that we would do it because everything else was closed on Sunday, although that's increasingly not becoming the case. Although Chick-fil-A is opening up now over in Whitestown, close to where we live. And did I tell you this? My wife has promised that she would take our boys there every Sunday for lunch. (laughs) They were really excited until they learned a little bit more about (laughs) Chick-fil-A. All right, let's move on. That the Ten Commandments, also called the Decalogue, are the moral law, is not as obvious as it may seem at first sight. These commandments, as given in Exodus 20 and repeated in Deuteronomy 5, were part and parcel of the covenant between God and the nation of Israel. This covenant contained detailed regulations for religious practice and for social and economic relations. The Ten Commandments form the direct basis for the Old Testament civil law. You might want to underline that, all right? So when we, when we talk about the law from Scripture, the best place to go with that is the Ten Commandments, okay? So one of the things uh, that our uh, um, uh, preschool teachers here at Advent will be working on is uh, slowly teaching uh, our preschoolers uh, second, third, fourth, fifth, all the way up to half-day kindergarten, uh, make sure that they have the Ten Commandments kind of up here, and they have them kind of learned by heart, right? Now, kids, especially at a young age, they're sponges, which is why if, if you say something, they remember it. Have you noticed that? Right? And then so you can watch all the crazy YouTube videos of a little three-year-old saying something mommy or daddy said, you know, in traffic jam or in the garage or whatever. And of course, they have no idea what it means, right? Um, but, but they're little sponges. So the way brains are wired, and, 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 and if this is something that's new to you, do a study not only just of classical education, but how God has created us, okay? And so uh, the grammar stage for younger kids is simply data input, right? They're not able to understand all those things yet. The goal is to get the feed the data into their brains. They can memorize more um, at that age than really, you ready for this, almost at any time of their life. It's really ridiculous, okay? Now, some of us that were raised in a little more uh, uh, postmodern and progressive mindset are having to kind of retrain ourselves with some of this, and I wish even with my kids that I would have known some of the stuff that I know now because, you know, I would have made their lives a little more difficult when they were little, but they would have loved it, so it would have been good. But anyway, okay, enough of that. Any comments before we move on here? So what he just said is that um, the Ten Commandments form the direct basis for the Old Testament's civil law. And that's what kind of leads us into a little bit here of the Seventh-day Adventist uh, discussion. Moreover, they themselves contain elements of the ceremonial law. So, for instance, the keeping of a special day, Saturday, Third Commandment, is not a part of the moral law. Under the New Testament, this provision, together with the rest of the ceremonial law, is no longer in force. And let's go to Colossians 2, 16 to 17, which I asked you for earlier, and you probably had it up and I ignored you. I'm sorry. 
Okay, let's read, uh, let's, let, let's read here Colossians 2, 16 to 17 together. Ready? Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. That's a great passage. Another example is the rule against making any picture or image of anything in heaven or on earth, right? Um, so, for example, some of our, our preschool teachers, uh, we, we have such great educators here. I, I'm just so amazed with, with some of the staff. Uh, not all of them are Lutheran, um, and, and that's okay for what we ask them to do. Uh, but some of them have been raised with a different numbering of the Ten Commandments, right? Raise your hand if you were raised with a different numbering of the Ten Commandments, okay? So most likely, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, you certainly were taught, thou shalt have no other gods. That was the first one. But then the second commandment was, thou shalt not make unto thyself any graven image. Right? Okay. Um, so the graven image side of it is separated out uh, from, you know, thou shalt have no other god. And then, and then what happens with the last two commandments? They morph together, right? So coveting then, so for, for 9 and 10, uh, right? So 9 is, uh, I always got to run through this in my head. Thou shalt not covet thou thy neighbor's wife. That's 9. 10 is what? Things or stuff, right? Yep, house, land, animals, all that I have, okay? Um, so those will just get put together, right? Now, there's actually some interesting history about the numbering of the commandments, and Luther actually kind of got involved in that just a little bit. Um, and we're not going to go into that now. I might cover that some other time. Um, and, you know, the graven image, is that still law? Yes, that's still law. That's still part of the first commandment. So you should not make idols to yourselves, okay? Uh, think golden calf, right? Who, do, who made the golden calf, by the way? Aaron did, right? Uh, so, so yeah, uh, early service people, um, good people fall from grace, good people sin from time to time, right? Um, and so late service people, just, just wait for it, you'll get it, okay? Um, so another example is the rule against making any picture, image of anything in heaven or on earth, Exodus 20, verse 4. Uh, the New Testament contains no such prohibition since now the Son of God himself, the very image of the invisible God, has taken on himself our nature, likeness, and appearance. So how then can we tell what is permanent moral law in the Ten Commandments and what is not? I think that's a really good question. Is, is that a good question Professor Marquardt is asking here? How then can we tell what is permanent moral law in the Ten Commandments and what is not? In other words, what does God expect of me, right? And, and, and you know, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So the new man within you that comes through the waters of holy baptism, through uh, fed into your ear by the power of his word, into your mouth and the body and blood, right? So the new Adam that is created in the midst of you wants to do what? What does the new Adam want to do? You want to make daddy happy. Absolutely. You want daddy's praise. You want your heavenly father to say, well done, good and faithful servant. 
You want your Heavenly Father to, to see your good deeds and, and, and reward you. You want to do the right thing, right? So, so that's, that's the saint in you. That's the new Adam. Now, the problem, of course, is while you draw breath in this life, right, that's only one side of your shoulder, like the old cartoons go, right? <laughs> the other shoulder, <laughs> right? Remember Sylvester, putty tat, right? Uh, with with the, the good little angel and the evil little angel, the good little Syl uh, Sylvester and the bad little Sylvester. So you have an old Adam within you, so there's a, there's a constant fight and a struggle, right? And the old Adam doesn't want anything to do with what the new Adam does. They're constantly at war, right? So much so that, you know, Paul talks, you know, the good I want to do, I don't do. The bad that I don't want to do, you remember that passage? And then Paul says, who can rescue me from this? body of death. So one of the first things, and this is so important for a Christian to recognize, is that there is a struggle going on within you. If you don't think there's a struggle going on within you, you've been severely duped. And you need to come talk to one of your pastors, okay? Um, or one of your close friends, or if you're married, your spouse. They'll help you... <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, you know where I'm going with that. Okay, so for this answer, Mark Hort says, we need to return to the New Testament interpretation of the Decalogue. So Jewish tradition had divided the law into 613 distinct commands and prohibitions, and moralists argued about which was the most important among these. Uh, anybody remember when these 613 came about? Wednesday morning Bible class people, we've talked about this a little bit because we're studying the book of Isaiah, which has to do with the captivity, Babylonian, northern and southern kingdom. So the 613 laws came, uh, you know, most scholars will surmise that they were developed during the time in Babylonian captivity, were not really codified until later, okay? Um, so these, these all came later. Most scholars will also tell you that it wasn't until these 613 laws were codified uh, that uh, uh, Judaism now began, right? So when we talk about Judaism, we're talking about a, a formalized uh, religion, as it were, right? So, so prior to the captivity, there really wasn't Judaism. I guess you would call it Hebrewism, right? Or they like coffee because Hebrews. Well, that's New Testament, though. That didn't work. That was bad. I'm trying to... It's Labor Day weekend. I know you're tired, I'm running out of material, but I got a couple of retired pastors. They got years worth of this stuff. So. so Jewish tradition had divided the law into 613 distinct commands and prohibition. Moralists argued about which was the most important among these. When the Pharisees tried to entangle the Savior in these slippery disputations, he interestingly enough bypassed the Decalogue completely. Cutting through to the heart of the matter, Jesus quoted from the great creedal, creedal summary of Deuteronomy 6, okay? Do you, do you know what this is called? The Shema, okay? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, okay? This, he said, is the first and greatest commandment. Next, he quoted from Leviticus 19. Let's read it together. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he concluded, quote, let's read it together. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And that's from Matthew 22. St. Paul boiled it down to one, one word. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law, right? So let's back up just a little bit to Jesus, okay? Jesus here summarizes the two tables of the law. 
The first is in your relationship with who? With God, right? So the law says, Heavenly Father says, love me with all of your heart, your soul, and your mind, right? Jesus doesn't, or God the Father doesn't want 50% of your heart, time, or devotion, okay? Are you ready for this? He doesn't want 10% of your tithe. How much does he want? All of it. So, okay, so we'll get into stewardship later, okay? It's good to have a discipline and that sort of thing, but if you're going to start saying what God wants, make sure you get it right. Just nod your heads. He wants it all. You want to know what will please God? <laughs> Everything. That's why Jesus tells the rich or young, young lawyer, what does he tell him? <laughs> you got to keep all the law, man. And of course he goes away sad. Right? Keep all the law, give away all your possessions, sell everything you have to the poor, and he goes away sad because he knows he can't do it. Can you do it? No, you can't. So if you think you're going to please God that way, you, you've already started you know, chasing you know, the wrong uh, Alice in Wonderland rabbit hole. Okay? Don't go down that one. That's a bad one. Okay? All right? All right. Okay. The fact that love, next paragraph, interprets the commandments, however, must not be taken to mean that it abolishes them. Otherwise, we should end up with some sort of situation ethics, let the reader understand, in which there are no absolutes, but anything can be justified in the name of love, right? Um, so modernism dealt with absolute truth. It did. Postmodernism then... Uh, eliminated absolute truth and made everything relative, okay? But it was only able to do that because modernism only used absolute truth in the construct of, of science, right? As long as it can be scientifically explained, you know, then, you know, then there's absolute truth. If it can't be scientifically explained, a true modernist would say, then it's not true, Okay? So, so you need to understand how not only we as a culture, but also we as a church have been affected by, by some of these various philosophies that, that, have, that have taken hold. Okay? Uh, and that's what's led so many church bodies to you know, look at passages of Scripture and say, well, that's not God's word, or God didn't say that, okay? as opposed to you know, us crazy, snobby Missouri Synod Lutherans who say all the Bible is God's word right? Uh, and we're, we're like backwoods, you know, hick rednecks, you know, because we believe the Bible is the Word of God, and people are like, well, you can't believe everything is the Word of God. You can't believe Jonah got swallowed by a big fish. I mean, that's just ridiculous. And live for three days, and you're like, yep, that's what I believe. And they say, well, you can't believe God created, you've traveled the world, right? You can't believe he created all this in six 24-hour days. You're like, yep, that's what I believe. The sun came up and the sun went down. Well, how do you know that? God said so. Now, I'm kind of making fun of us, all right? But in a good way, because that's what we believe. Everything is built on faith and trust that the Bible is God's Word, all right? And, and once, you, once you lose that footing, then there's all sorts of, of, of different holes to go down, okay? So, 
Um, blah, 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 blah. In fact, the demand for love now is the very thing which makes God's commandments so unattainably hard to keep. This is clear from the way in which our Savior explains the real spiritual core of the Decalogue in St. Matthew 5. Not only the overt acts of murder and adultery break the fifth and sixth commandments, light service people pay attention when we get there with our text for today, and sermon early service people let the hearer understand, right? So not only the overt acts of murder and adultery break the fifth and sixth commandments, but even anger and lustful looks. Okay? So when, when, when the hair starts to, whatever, I don't know what your trigger is. I know what it is for me. My hair, my, my hair on the back of my neck will stand up, not as if I'm scared, but, but it's almost like I'm scrunching my shoulders together. That's when I kind of, my, my blood starts to boil, right? And now I have ear hair. As you get older, you get ear hair. And I start to be, notice that when I get angry, probably because there's more blood pumping through my head because of my blood pressure is going up, right? Um, so I don't know what your triggers are when you notice that you're starting to get agitated and upset at someone or something, right? And, and Jesus says even just thinking bad thoughts about someone, or you might say they're good thoughts, I guess, if they're lustful, but it's still sin, okay? And that's, that's whether you're married or not married, okay? Um, you know, now thinking about your spouse, I would say that's okay as long as it's good and appropriate. Um, but thinking about hurting someone, wishing ill will of them. Uh, you ever get to the point where you're upset, maybe I'm saying too much, and you start thinking of ways you can get back at someone. <laughs> oh, maybe I could create a fake email account and send them emails. Or maybe I'll write a note and slip it under their door, right? Okay. Or back when we were little, we'll just go teepee their house. I don't know if that gets done anymore. Do, do young kids do that anymore? They do occasionally? Okay. We're not going to tell you what that is. Ask your parents. So you start thinking about all these ways that you can get back at someone, and even that that's sin. You haven't even done it yet. But even just thinking about it, you're convicted. Okay? So, so understand what Jesus is getting at here. For sin arises not at the surface levels of hands or eyes. So sin doesn't start out here, but from the deepest layers of our being. And that's what it truly means to be sinful and unclean. Okay? Uh, that we're born in sin, um, that, that we're, we're tainted with it. Every inclination of a man's heart is only evil all the time. Anything that comes from within you or of you, Scripture says, is sin, right? Take that Joel Olstein and Oprah and all the others who would try and teach you that there is naturally good within you. There is no good within human beings. The only good within us is that which God imputes to us, okay? Or if you're a medical person, injects into us pours into our ear through His Word, right? Covers us through baptism, feeds us with it, right? And just, just, just start to marvel at the Lord's Supper. As I get older, I just, the older I get, the more I just marvel at how God designed this, right? Uh, you know, what it means to really ingest something, to be, become one with it, to eat, right? You like food, don't you? You like food? Do you pay attention to what you eat? 
you like certain restaurants for certain reasons, okay? Uh, or you're trying to slim down, and so you've got to stay away from certain foods and only, you know, I mean, so just think about how God now is creating this, this marvelous union with you and, and think about how badly you need it, right? And now give thanks for what, what he's doing, which is the other word for the Lord's Supper is Eucharist, Eucharitzo, which means to give thanks. So we are giving thanks for God now. We're recognizing what he's doing for us poor, miserable, sinful beings. Comments or questions? Okay. Um, so, uh, sin arises not at the surface level of hands or eyes, but from the deepest layers of our being. Okay, and let's read Matthew 15, 19 together. This is the reality. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. And culture would tell you and teach you, listen to your heart. If it comes out of your heart, it must be okay. So if you feel that way, then it's okay. So little by little by little, culture is basically putting a rubber stamp of approval on everything that comes out of the heart. Okay? So think about some of the social issues that way. And you can go down the list of them. Just go down the list of them in Bible. Right? So, you know, murder. I mean, think euthanasia. Right? Um, you know, I, 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 I have been, I, you know, when I can't sleep or when I need to shut my brain down, I'll kind of flip through Netflix or Hulu and I'll kind of see what some of the, the, the shows that are on, especially some of the newer popular ones. And it's funny how many of them incorporate some of the major cultural issues, right? So the, 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 this one, Designated Survivor, anybody watch that? Phil, okay, you don't, the third season is trash. Um, but uh, I'm not going to tell you what happens. It's just, it gets bad. But, but you know, even in, in that one, which is, you know, an interesting, really interesting story about what would happen if our government went kaput all at one time and how, what it would be like to rebuild. And I don't want to spoil it too much, but all that stuff gets woven into it. The sexual immorality, euthanasia, right? Um, and, and Washington, D.C. being the only place you can... You can go. I don't know if that's actually true. Uh, to actually, you know, if you're so, if you're you got a cancer diagnosis and you're going to die and you don't want to deal with any type of suffering, then uh, you know, just take an injection. You know, uh, and if you're struggling with understanding that, come talk to us because the Lord still has good use for you while you have life in your body. Your body is your own. Scripture says. Or that your body is not your own. I almost messed that up, Pastor Omen. Your body is not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So even your body does not belong to you. Okay? So what does that mean for how I live that out? Okay, let's move on because I could, I could get up and start going crazy here, but I won't. All right. So no doubt, because the Savior spoke of the two great commandments, it became customary to divide the Ten Commandments into two tables. The first table, comprising commandments one to three, governs man's duties toward, go ahead and stretch your arm, right, towards God, right? That's what we call that vertical relationship. The second table, don't hit your neighbor, do this, containing the remaining commandments, lays down our duties to our fellow human beings, right? They're, it's both at the same time. And, and this, by the way, is also what's so difficult for some people to understand about what's going on at communion, Right? 
So a lot of people just say communion, the Lord's Supper, is just about this. Okay? But it's not. It's also about what? It's both at the same time. And, and that's why the church historically has practiced closed communion. And yeah, I know that's a difficult concept. I know it involves having conversations with your family and friends that you don't want to talk about, right? And so you let us pastors be the bullies, okay? Uh, or if you're here, then we train our elders to help us be the bullies. But, but hopefully you're doing some of that as well because it's simply God's word. It's both and, right? So vertical and horizontal. So the second table containing the remaining commandments lays down our duties to our fellow human beings. It would be misleading, however, to describe the first set of duties as religious and the second set as social. Look at what Marquardt is doing here. So the first set of duties, relationship with God, he said it would be misleading to call that religious and then call this social. Now before we read his answer, is he right? And why do you think so? Is our relationship with God just religious? Is our relationship with our fellow man just social? Why or why not? Yeah, go ahead, speak up. You must be a Lutheran. You like the both and thing. Yeah, so she said it's, it's holistic, it's united, right? So, so God does not separate himself, perhaps. Any other comments before we read on? Oh, good one. That's a really good one. Whatever you do to the least of these, you do or have done unto me. Excellent. Good one. Any other passages jump, jump to mind? Or explanation? Okay. Actually, all these duties and obligations are religious. So even your social life, in some way, shape, or form, is religious. Now, I struggle with this, because my day job is what? I'm a pastor. So I go play golf on the golf course. What do I want to do on the golf course? I just want to play golf. I really... I. I really don't want to talk about Jesus. I'll admit it to you. I'm a sinner. Okay? I just want to relax. You feel like that sometimes with your job? I'm just being honest with you. If you begin to think that I just 24-7, you know, 365, that I just want to preach and talk about my faith in Jesus all the time, you're, you got the wrong guy. Because the other side of me is a sinner, and I have other things I want to do, and sometimes that's good, sometimes... Do you, you picking up where I'm going with this? So that, that's part of recognizing now, you know, who you are. Now, and, and so far be it for me, and if you ever hear this from me in any way, shape, or form, kick me, hit me, slap me, send me a nasty email or something that talks about you having to be a missionary 100% of the time. You do have duties and vocations. But that's also setting you up for failure because can you be that? No, you can't, right? Pray unceasingly. Raise your hand if you do that. And you say, well, I got the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit prays all the time. So yeah, I pray unceasingly. No, that's not really what it meant. It meant you pray unceasingly at all times. Give thanks. No, you're not always doing that, okay? You might give thanks half the time. The other time you're complaining, 
Is that fair? Okay. Just want to make sure I'm on the right page here. So all these duties and obligations are religious since they are required by God himself and are owed to him. He has, in fact, made it very plain that a, re- a, very plain that a religion without social regard for our fellow humans is a sham. And that's interesting. Let's look at James 1, verse 27. I like his verses here. James 1, verse 27. Religion without social regard for our fellow human beings is a sham. You, you cannot ignore you know, the, the social, you know, where you're placed. And I think that's kind of, you know, as we're slowly, not just long-range planning committee, but I think us as a congregation, God has placed us here, okay, obviously to feed the sheep that are here, okay? But what, here's an interesting question, what does that mean socially? I mean, what does that mean socially? How does Advent Evangelical Lutheran Church engage in the community around where God has placed us? Is that a fair question? I'm not going to go all crazy with you, right? Job number one is to feed the sheep and to do what we do, and I think we do well. But there's a social side to it, so we, we, need, to, we need to look at that. we got preschool. I would say that's one way we answer that. Right, let's read it together, 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the... I'm just, I'm not laughing at it. I'm just, wow. When's the last time you read that passage? That's kind of an eye-opener. One of the things I'm going to share with you further on down the road is a CFW Walther uh, wrote uh, the, the, the duties of the church, okay? It was actually the duties of a church independent of the state. And you might say it was the first constitution and bylaws, if you will, for, for congregations. And it kind of went through, you know, what, are the, what is the church supposed to do? Uh, what are the, it's kind of like a table of duties, kind of like an expansion of, of, uh, of Luther's table of duties. And it's really good. But Walther really hammers home you know, this, this part that we just saw. Put that back up there real quick, okay? Uh, that we just saw that, you know, one of the main reasons for the church, okay? Go back up. Uh, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is to visit orphans and widows in their inflection to keep oneself unstained from the world, okay? So that's an important part of it. Now, we don't want to misunderstand this or take this out of context. Some churches do, and then they become all about the social gospel, Okay, primarily, but we need to understand that's part of, of who we are. And some good Lutheran churches are all about preaching the gospel and, and won't really preach or admonish or encourage you to do good works, right? And, and that's, that's antinomian. That's against the law, contrary to Scripture. Okay, the other passage was 1 John 4, 20 to 21. Did you see Jeopardy this week? They had all the All-Stars back? And Alex Trebek, oh, that was a rerun? Was that after Alex Trebek was back? You see how often I really, I don't watch this stuff very often. It was just on. That was a rerun? I'll forget I mentioned it then. Okay. Well, they had like the guys that had won and, eh, okay, forget what I said. I was gonna say something really, yeah. But you're not going to get to hear it now. Okay. All right, here we go. Let's read it together. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. 
For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Take the knife. Go ahead, take, pick it up. Just stab yourself and twist. Because we don't always do that, do we? Right? Who's my brother? They asked Jesus. And Jesus said, <laughs> yeah, even that neighbor of yours that you just can't stand. Right? Or that person at your work. Or that person at school that's been Snapchatting about you and Insta, Facebooking, posting, whatever it's called. Okay? Yeah. Love your neighbor. Wow. Okay. So the first commandment is really the fountainhead, back to Marquardt, bottom of page 73, of all the others. Luther captures this truth in his classic catechism explanation. We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things, right? Now, if you want to do something fun this week, if you're preparing to come on Wednesday and you decide, oh, I'm going to go home and read through my catechism each day because when I show up on Wednesday, I want to show the pastors how well I really know it. Um, <laughs> Oh, bye. Uh, this phrase occurs over and over again for good reason. We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things, right? So if, if you come to, you know, have a, a, a pastoral you know, counseling session, you just want to chat. You come sit down with me or Pastor Grady. In some way, shape, or form, we will help you kind of ask this question. What is it that you fear? What fears are you wrestling with right now? And this is a good way for you to kind of examine yourself, right? You know, what, what, what are your fears, okay? How about your loves? Where is your love right now, right? And, and your love might tend to different idols that go from time to time, right? So I finally got the motorcycles out of the garage and running, and what do I tend to think about? I'm an idiot. I'm a man. I mean, I, I tend to think about, you know, going for a ride on the motorcycle, right? So, so we're kind of wired that way, right? Or you get some sort of new toy, you get a new laptop, you get a new vehicle. I mean, you just, you see, do you have this problem too, or is it just me? <laughs> you get focused on something. Th those things become your love, right? And, and then because we're a throwaway society, you'll, you'll go from kind of one thing to the next, right? Okay. Um, and uh, so it's, it's important to understand the problem with being a sinner and now with the new man and what God wants to do. The third thing then is trust. Where do you place your trust? Right? So, you know, you find yourself, you know, looking at uh, where the mortgage rates are at and the stock market and where things are going to be. And you start getting worried about five years from now or 10 years from now. Or for some reason, every time I swipe my phone to get the news of the day, it's got something about how much money I'm going to need for retirement. Every single day. Right? Every single day. I'm like, okay, I mean, I have some plans in place. I'm going to do my best. But, man, that's a heavy dose of law. I feel like I'm, I never have enough, right? I'm just, I'm just gonna have to stop looking at my phone, but I can't do that because I gave you all my number. So, and I don't know how to turn off the new stuff, but oh, you, you see the traps we fall into. So fear, love, and trust, 
Okay? So certainly this embraces also that awe towards his name and his word, which the second and third commandments require of us, right? So, you know, stop doing the OMG texting thing, okay, and the little cute little bitmoji things with the OMG balloons, right? God's name is holy. Use it in a good way, okay? Call out to when you are in need. Pray praise. Give thanks. Third commandment, go to church. You need these gifts. The new Adam in you wants it. So stop withholding from yourself what you need, right? The chief physician offers to you medicine of immortality. He's got a cure for your disease. Don't be an idiot and ignore it, okay? Uh, but that's not all. To fear, love, and trust in God means also to honor authorities, fourth commandments, and let's just finish up with this, human life, fifth commandment, the sacred bond of marriage, okay, or I would also say sexuality, sixth commandment, property, seventh commandment, reputation, eighth commandment, all of which have God's blessing, the protection of his law. The ninth and tenth commandments, which forbid even coveting, show that purity of heart and not mere external civil compliance is what the law of God is all about. Do we have time for Romans 7, 7 to 8? Put it up there real quick. Romans 7, 7 to 8, let's read this. We'll finish this paragraph and then we'll be done for today. Thanks for your attention. Romans 7, 7 to 8, here we go. What then shall we say that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. So in the moral law, last paragraph is correctly understood, no grounds at all remain for the illusion that sinful mortals can, perhaps with a bit of help, measure up to the just requirements of God. But what is the use of unattainable ideals and impossible standards? Reality therapy is precisely the central service which the law must render to our opinionated egos, right? So we need to understand the what's what. We need to understand the reality of our situation, okay? Uh, and the reason for that, let's read it together. So that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world stand convicted before God, okay? Thanks be to God who has given you victory and forgiveness for your sin through Jesus Christ, your Lord. Okay, let's stand and close with the Lord's Prayer. Blessings on your week. Please keep uh, all of our staff here at church and school uh, in your prayers this week as we uh, start classes and uh, look forward to seeing you during the week as you are able. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Church uh, rally day, picnic uh, next Sunday as well. Make sure you sign up and check out all the information. Peace be with you. Amen.